Aloha, party people. You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 138. This episode is sponsored by Tandawai Rum, the world's largest rum producer and winner of over 170 international medals in the past four decades. Check out their webpage at tandawaiusa.com or follow them on Facebook or Instagram at tandawaiusa. This podcast is also sponsored by the Tonga Hut. With locations in both North Hollywood and Palm Springs, California, the Tonga Hut serves classic tiki cocktails in a classic tiki setting. Dine in a secret tiki hideaway or learn about rum and rum history at one of their educational seminars. And if you're up to the challenge, take the journey to join the loyal order of drooling bastards. For information on events, rum rum club, and more, go to tongahut.com or find them on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Bar T-Shirt Club, where their monthly t-shirt designs pay tribute to a Polynesian bar or restaurant from days long past. Each design is available for a limited time and will never be produced again. For the collectors out there, be sure to check out their subscription program, where they offer a discounted 3, 6, or 12-month plan, or you can always buy shirts one at a time. For more information and to check out this month's shirt, visit tikibartshirtclub.com. Today, we go into the Maikai's main dining room to join Jim Hurricane Hayward and special guest Matt Pietrick for their Rums of the Maikai Symposium, direct from the Hukilau. Go on a virtual journey to the Caribbean to learn about the key rums and styles that have dominated the Maikai's acclaimed cocktails for more than 60 years. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. And if you did, hit that subscribe button. Subscribing makes it easier for you to follow our adventures. Shares on your social media pages are always appreciated. And if you'd like to help support the show, go to DesertOasisRoom.com to pick up some merch or make a donation. This podcast does not survive without the help of its sponsors or its listeners. So every purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. Okay, here we go. Jim Hayward and Matt Petrick with Rums of the Maikai. Welcome to the Maikai for the Sunday finale of the Hookie Lao 2019. I'm Hurricane Hayward. To my, to my right, Matt Petrick of the Cocktail Wonk blog, uh, budding uh, author and uh, rum expert. More, He knows more about rum than I do, so that's why he's here. I, 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 I'm, modest. I might know a little more about the Maikai. I think he does. We're, we're actually here to talk about the rums and the Maikai, so let's start with that. This is from the Maikai's 1956 menu, and of course, rum was always front and center on the Maikai's menu, and I love this this uh, little blurb that was on their menu for years, and it pretty much explained the philosophy in a, in a nutshell. At the Maikai, we have personally selected the finest of rums from our vast cellar. The, the mixtures are the results of long study and careful testing of Mariano, our chief mixologist. Of course, that's Mariano Liquidine, their chief mixologist. Now, this kind of sets the stage for your night at the Maikai. And this is kind of a typical of the early mid and mid-century tiki menus to kind of set the mood. This, of course, was their 56 menu. Of course, rum didn't start at the Maikai. It started with Don the Beachcomber and in the tiki realm. That's where it all started. Don started his restaurant after Prohibition ended in Hollywood. He called it Don the Beachcomber, and he was so into it, he just changed his name. He said, oh, what, what the hell? I don't want to be called Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gann anymore. Can you blame him? He, he legally changed his name to uh, Don E.R. Beach. And there you see Don on the left and his, his uh, lovely bar on the right. It set the stage for everything. It's the reason we're here, basically. And of course, he was the cocktail pioneer. Don created a, a, a litany of great drinks. There he is on the left in his bar in the 1930s. And right there you see the glass. Is anyone drinking a deep sea diver right now? 
if you if you go to the bar right now you can order a deep sea diver it comes in that exact same glass thanks to beach barbarian cocktail kingdom on the right there's the don beach drink description the pearl diver and you're going to notice a theme as we go through this don the beachcomber drinks mike high drinks this is don's menu from i don't know when exactly this was probably the 50s it wasn't an old menu but this is a great one because you can see all the drinks and how they relate to the Mai Kai. You know, so you have the, um, the rum julep, which is on the Mai Kai menu. The Tahitian rum punch, which is the Tahitian breeze. Don's pearl, which is the uh, hidden pearl. Of course, the pearl diver we just mentioned. I could go through every one, but this is not a cocktail symposium. I've done this before. These, these are my favorites. These are the drinks you should be ordering. But they're, they're uh, all Don the Beachcomber uh, originals that ended up on the Mai Kai, slightly adjusted, not quite the same. Matt, have, how many Mai Kai drinks have you had since you've been here so far? Um, I think five, which is surprisingly low for me. Is this your first, first visit? Oh, no. No, no. Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth. You're, yeah. We met at the Rum Fest like yes, five years ago? Like five, about five years ago, just okay. when I was getting started. I would just say that uh, at Ladder 229, the Pearl Diver would be the Pontrachian Pearl Diver. This is a kind of a lost uh, tradition. Nowadays, all the tiki bars are great at coming up with their own cocktails. You don't see people like, I wouldn't say ripping each other off, but copying each other. But it was sort of standard practice back in the, in the mid-50s. The Mai Kai just did it better. And I think Don the Beachcomber even admitted that once. He said, oh, the Mai Kai does it correctly. Now, Don was such a rum aficionado, more than anyone can imagine. This is his 1941 menu from both the Chicago and the Hollywood uh, Don the Beachcombers, which at the time, I believe, are the only two locations in the world. Uh, behind the bar at Don the Beachcomber, the nectar of the gods, that's what he calls rum, and I totally agree. I'm sure you would agree as well. Oh, absolutely. So I, I was hoping Matt could elaborate a little bit on Don's uh, favorite rums here. He, he, it runs the gamut. He's got a little bit of everything. I don't know how clear this screen is from uh, a distance, but um, Don covers all the, all the rum styles of the Caribbean, close. basically. And his, I love this map of the Caribbean as well. So in, in, the, in the 1940s, 50s, Caribbean rums would have dominated the, the marketplace, correct? Yeah. Oh, ab absolutely. Um, the the basically the by the 20s and 30s, rums were the rum world was sort of in decline. The uh, basically things like beet sugar and things like that had caused uh, in economic conditions. In fact, it's caused the decline of Caribbean rum in terms of like pricing and plantations closing and things like that had caused that uh, to go into effect. Luckily, one of the things that brought it back was uh, World War II, which in fact you know, British Navy, rum, you know, lots of rum was lost to bombings. Uh, there was a upswing in demand for rum. And so basically after World War II, it was full steam ahead uh, with the, especially the British colonies. So Don's background is kind of unique and he got his background in rum in the 1930s, uh, correct? And during Prohibition, apparently he was a rum runner, according to legend. That's, that's what I've heard. But and, I think you know that one better than I do. And he did a lot of traveling in the Caribbean and visited many of these islands. And, you know, if you believe his menu, he visited every island. We, we don't know for sure where he went, but he was obviously influenced by certain uh, rums and uh, various islands in the, in the Caribbean. Right. And I would say it's also interesting up there, if I'm reading it correctly, you'll see New England rum as well. That uh, this was sort of, and that era before New England rum had sort of uh, disappeared off the map. Um, I think it was uh, completely gone by... Uh, the 1960s, but even, but basically from about 1920 on, it was very little being made. Yeah, Don did have New England rums on his original menu, and it's actually called out in some of the cocktails. Right. And I've had some people ask me, it's like, how do we make this Don Beach drink? What's New England rum? Right. So. Yeah, and, and sort of interesting, some of the descriptions I've read of New England rum are that it was, it was very pungent and almost, you know, from what we've read, I have, I've not had any of the old New England rum myself, but was actually sort of in that same league as Jamaican rum, very, very pungent uh, in that regard. I, I have a secret to share. There's actually a bottle in the back. We might get to taste some. Excellent. And it's, it's actually very cool to see sort of New England rum, New England as a, as a rum, rum source sort of coming back these days with uh, people right. like Maggie Campbell, Privateer. 
But at this point in history, in the, in the 30s, 40s, there was no U.S. mark, no U.S. rum trade anymore. It was all Caribbean. Correct. So this is the fascinating document. I, we, we, I gleaned this from Beach Bumberry's Potions of the Caribbean, as I've gleaned a lot of my information. Uh, this is that same menu, but you, you open that, that cool menu, and inside is the rums from Don the Beachcomber's cellar. And this is a huge amount of rums, and uh, Don's credo, of course, what one, one, one rum can't do, three rums can. This is um, his entire collection at that time in his, his bars in Chicago and uh, in Hollywood, and there's a lot of great rums on here. Um, and as I, as I point out here, 20 of these rums, at least on this list, I, I've traced to the early days of the Maikai in the 1950s and 60s. Right, and it's also some, something that the sort of couple things jump out of me here. Barbados rum up there, uh, it was not until the uh, 1930s or so uh, that in Prohibition that Barbados began exporting any rum in any substantial quantity. Prior to that, most of their, um, most of the sugar was going into, they were, they were focusing on making sugar and with basically the pro prohibition providing opportunity for rum runners. Uh, you see that story with like Bill McCoy, you know, the real McCoy rum today. Um, but essentially Barbados rum as we know it today is really only dates from the, basically the 1930s and 1940s. They were making rum and consuming it locally, but in terms of like export rum in the same way as Jamaica or Demerara uh, was still relatively new when this menu was printed. And two of these Barbados rums here, um, Lightborns and Cockade, are in the back bar at the Maikai. Yes. And also interesting, to go back for just okay. a moment there, um, the, the Martinique rum there, uh, today we associate Martinique with, with agricultural-style rum made from cane juice that has its own sort of very unique flavor profile. But the transition from, uh, basically, from traditional molasses-style rum uh, to, to the cane juice rum we have today didn't really start until the 1870s or so. Uh, the, basically, the sugar, sugar market had collapsed, and the, the uh, Martinique and Guadalupe in particular had discovered that it's, it's, it was economically more beneficial to make, to basically make rum from sugar cane juice rather than to extract out the sugar and make rum from the molasses. Uh, and that process of switching over from molasses-based, you know, molasses-based rum economy to a sugar-based or a sugar cane juice uh, rum economy basically took almost the next century. So by 1960, there was really only one uh, molasses-based rum distillery operating, and, and today there still is one molasses-based uh, rum distillery in Martinique. Um, so it's, it's hard to know uh, without actually going tasting these bottles, these Martinique rums of 1941, uh, what exactly they were. And this is a whole separate discussion, but there's a lot of theories about the, the original Mai Tai and how it was most likely not a, not an agricultural rum that right. Trader Vic used. Yeah. It was most likely a molasses-based. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's apparently there's some disagreement between Martin Kate and Jeff Berry as to you know what it was. Uh, Martin being on the side of it being in, in a uh, a rum grande rome, which is a Martinique molasses-based sort of competitor to those very high ester Jamaican rums. And you'll actually see in the, the Denizen Merchants Reserve, which is a, you know, a rum for sale today, that um, you know, trying to replicate the mix of the, the Mai Tai rum mix after they had, had basically ran out of Ray in Nephew 17 and then running out of Ray in Nephew 15, that the, the mix they came up with, or the mix they used and that, that Mark Kate worked with Denizen to try to replicate actually uses this uh, rum grande rome, a very, very pungent, very high ester, um, I actually have have a sample of it at home, and and I will say it it will compete with any any sort of high ester super funky Jamaican rum. A couple other quick things about this uh, document before we move on. There's um, obviously a lot of Cuban rum here. This is the Cuban Cuban rum heyday, and uh, you see at least at my count of four of these at least made it onto the Maikai menus, and uh, a rare one there, Sloppy Joe's rum. Yes, and, and by this point in history, like 1941, Cuba had mostly had mostly transitioned all the way to, to column stills, pot stills that were sort of uh, going the way of the dodo in Cuba, and we were sort of transitioning to the, the modern Cuban style, uh, very you know like uh, column stills, like lighter lighter rums 
that get a lot of their, um, their flavor from um, oxidative aging rather than extractive aging. Also of note on this, of course, uh, a lot of lemon heart, the same lemon heart we know today, this is the, 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 the uh, heyday of lemon heart as well. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, and in some of the research I've been doing on lemon heart, uh, the brand itself disappeared in England from about 1875 through 1935 or so, and but when it came back, when sort of Lemon Heart was relaunched as a brand, like the way we know it today, Lemon Heart was the first Lemon Heart, the only thing that we saw advertised at least, was Lemon Heart Jamaican, and it wasn't until another decade or so that we started seeing Lemon Heart Demerara as sort of like the big player here. And, and Don's got both, he's got the Jamaicans and the Demereras, and Speaking of Jamaicans, J. Ray Nephew Dagger, which many of you may know as a legendary rum. Happen to have an old bottle here. <laughs> I have to give it back, unfortunately. Yeah. Speaking of Dagger, here's some old, some old uh, vintage advertising of Dagger. We had various versions of the Dagger aged at different levels, and the, the dagger punch, which is used in a lot of cocktails. I believe Steven Remsberg uh, waxed poetically yesterday about visiting down the beachcombers and drinking the dark rum drinks and just loving that taste, and it had to have been that, that dagger rum, the original 97 proof, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Another, there's the Lemon Heart, some old vintage ads from Lemon Heart. As we said, there's the Jamaican. And the, the Demerara. Yeah, and no, I'll say they're, they're sort of interesting. I, I have a, a, a lemon heart, a similar lemon heart ad in presentation I've given, where there was a very brief period where there was a lemon heart navy rum for like for about two years, and it kind of disappeared. But uh, the during that era, it was like the London dock rum style, sort of being rebranded as, as navy rum. And so there's it's sort of an interesting transition um, as. as Rum brands are evolving and trying to figure out like how how do they penetrate the market? And a shout out to Lemonheart as a sponsor of the Hooky Lao, and um, they have been uh, using their rum and cocktails all weekend. And of course, the Mai Kai still uses Lemonheart 151, and you can taste it in a lot of the cocktails here as well. We'll get to more of that. Here we go. Now we're getting up to speed with the Mai Kai Tiki in the Tropics, 1956, the Thornton Brothers. Came south from Chicago. Of course, they were regulars at Don the Beachcomber. No surprise. They learned everything they could learn visiting the tropical bars that they used to frequent. Young, young hotshots, they decided to open their own place. They came to Fort Lauderdale, where we're standing right now. And you can see the construction photo on the left. This is a newspaper clipping from the opening day, the, the ne very next day, December 28, 1956. So this is a December 29th article. Here's some other great shots. Um, I'm sure I, I need to sh give a shout out to Swanky. This was in uh, Tim's book, which you can get in the gift shop, signed by Mr. Kleisner. We have a great photo of the front uh, area. Back in the early days, there was the, the uh, US-1 was not a four-lane highway. You, could, you had this nice frontage that kind of disappeared over the years. Great artist rendering. The Maikai just set such a scene, such an enveloping atmosphere, as we all know. It just made the experience so much better. It made the drinks and the food and the whole experience I, I, just a united experience of, of uh, Polynesian paradise. When they came to time to do a cocktail program, the Thornton brothers, that's Bob on the left and Jack on the right, they went to Don the Beachcombers and kind of pilfered his, his guys, basically. They took, instead of taking the number one guys, they took the number two guys. And that's Mariano in the middle. He's, he was their number two bartender. He started with Don back in 1939 in Hollywood. He moved to Chicago in 1940. By 56, he knew everything he, he needed to know about making Don the Beachcomber cocktails. And that's Don's bar in Chicago on the left. So. He was happy to move on and be the leader of the cocktail program, and he was given unprecedented power as a as a mixologist in those days. The the guys at Don's, you know, worked in the back. Nobody knew who they were. They never really did any press 
or you know, public relations, they were the unsung heroes, as they still are, but uh, Mariana was given uh, star status along with the chef who came from Don's. This is the 56-57 menu they created upon opening. Looks a lot like that Don the Beachcomber menu. A lot of the same drinks. And um, the menu is pretty much, you know, a, a copy of Don's. 33 of these drinks were from, uh, actually 43 of the 44 drinks, I believe, were from Don's. The Black Magic was the only original. 33 remain today. And the other 10 we call the Lost Cocktails. And we're drinking two of them today. Dr. Fong is on there somewhere. And again, thanks to Swanky, he, he's uh, done a lot of research and you can read his book for a lot of more interesting stories about the early days. This is a great photo on the left of Mariano in his back bar with Bob Van Dorp on the left. And Bob also came from Chicago and, and Bob's a key figure for many reasons. He became the first general manager of the Maikai. He knew the ins and outs of running Don's, so he was able to apply all those same things to the, to the Maikai when they opened. If you look closely, um, Mariano was pointing at Dagger Rum there on the shelf. And this is the back bar at the time, and it's still the same today. If you, if, if you go back there and look, there's the, the drink mixing machines. That were, no, nobody's back there with shakers. They don't shake anything. They use the, the old-fashioned drink mixers. So before we get to that, I just want to drum roll for this. This is the big reveal I made yesterday in the class. Thanks to Swanky again, Bob Van Dorp has a file full of documents relating to the Maikai all these years later. And among the piles of documents, Tim was able to dig up what appeared to be a vintage uh, list of rums. So he passed it along to me and I said, holy shnikes. This is the 1956-57 rum list of the Maikai, every bottle accounted for that they had on their original menu. Total of 14,800 bottles of rum. Of course we see Dagger at number one. 3,449 bottles of Dagger, broken down by month. These are probably just um, inventory, so it's, you know, purchases, shipments, wh whatever it may be. It's not necessarily what was what was consumed, but we can assume that most of this rum was consumed. Number two and number three are Spanish-style rums called Boca Chica, which nobody's probably heard of. I think it still exists in Puerto Rico. At the time, it was uh, something necessary in a bar like the Maica. You need a, a workhorse Spanish-style mixing rum. When you're make, making so many drinks, you need those basic mixing rums, and that was Boca Chica. Demerara 86, Demerara 151, we're assuming that was Lemonheart at the time. That's such a huge amount of rums there at the very top of the list. That's the bulk of the rums uh, that were used. And if you uh, look at the rum list today, it's probably very similar. They're, they're following, because the cocktails haven't changed, the rums haven't changed. So we're still drinking drinks with the same flavor profile from 1956. I would say it's, it's sort of interesting that I'm sort of studying this again and thinking about uh, the, the book I've just finished, uh, which you'll see at the end there, but uh, what I did was, you know, very briefly, was take 30 classic cocktails, 30 classic tiki cocktails from the era and break them down by components and basically do some very simple statistics to show which, which were the sort of key rums being used, what are sort of like those canonical tiki rums, and this list basically mirrors at least the beginning of the list basically mirrors what I, what I found out, that Jamaican rum, a dagger Jamaican rum, was the number one, like dominant, uh, number one uh, uh, type of style of rum. And then number two is a, what, do we, what I call a lightly aged and filtered rum, what today we would call a, you know, a white rum, so something like Bacardi or, or uh, El Dorado three things like that. Uh, next one being basically a classic gold, a, you know, rum with a little bit of age to it. And number four and five being basically the, the sort of splitting out Demerara rums from the sort of the other uh, moderately aged rums. So that, you know, kind of fascinating to see that I was, you know, sort of on the right track there. As you, if you go down the list, there's a whole lot of other stuff on there. Not, not quite as, um, as popular as, as the top, but you see a great variety of rums. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of rums are on Don Beach's um, menu from 15 years earlier. Some Bacardi's there, some, some names you may know, some Don Q's. 
these little check marks, I figured out this document was created for a purpose besides the inventory. Right down here you can see a list of numbers PR for Puerto Rico. They were tallying up all the Puerto Rican rums and it came to a grand total of uh, 5,908 bottles of Puerto Rican rum. And I think there was a good reason for that, as we'll see. Um, that was their most dominant rum at the time. Right, and this is very, very much in sort of line with that era, uh, basically in the, from the 30s, 40s, 50s, those from those era on, was the real rise of, of Puerto Rico as a, as a very large rum producer. You know, there was rum being made there before, but we sort of see a huge increase in production volumes around that era. And I always assumed that there was a lot of Cuban rum here back in the early days, for, for whatever reason, you romanticize about it, but there really weren't that many. There's a few on here. There's some Bacardi Cuban rums. And I was able to figure that out because of the, just because it's Don, I guess it's Bob Van Dorp's check marks. He didn't check this Bacardi because it's probably from Cuba. He checked this Bacardi as from Puerto Rico. Right, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of misconception that, that uh, when, when the, during the Cuban Revolution in 59, that Bacardi went elsewhere. But Bacardi had already established uh, distilleries in, in Puerto Rico much earlier, and and, uh, and Mexico, and Mexico as well. And there was actually a time when there was a Bacardi distillery in Spain. Um, so they, they they had branched out. They took their initial success uh, from like the 1900s, 1910s, and, and you know wisely branched out. Um, another interesting thing I see up here that sort of catches my eye is the Secrets, which is a, uh, a Trinidad rum. Um, and you know still you see some references to Secrets bouquet. Um, and it sort of becomes sort of another holy grail for a lot of people. They had 120 bottles here. I'm not sure what they used it for. You don't see a lot of Trinidadian rum here. I, I just assume it's just a, a, to ha a popular rum to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Good question. Uh, St again, Stephen said that was Trader Vic's favorite, personal favorite. Right, yeah. And I think that's sort of what, what triggered, triggered a sort of a modern day you know, interest in, in finding some, some classic secrets bouquet. Back to the Bacardi, I, I have an old bottle of Cuban Bacardi here that we pulled from the back. The one other thing I want to show real quick, uh, the Special Reserve 15 at the very bottom here, that was, again, that was on Don's menu, but if you remember, Don's menu had uh, Special Reserve 17, and if that rings a bell with anybody, it's the same 17-year-old Ray and Nephew Special Reserve that was in Trader Vic's original Mai Tai. That's a, sort of a holy grail of rums. Right. The story is just told us that after after they drank all the the Ray and Nephew 17, they switched to the 15. So it makes sense being here. It sort of matches up with the timeline of that era. Uh, just some quick facts here. I broke down some numbers. Uh, of course, like I said, the Puerto Ricans dominating, the Jamaicans, the the Guyana rums, and the Virgin Island rums coming in a strong fourth. And as it breaks down by percentage, you, you have a lot of Spanish. Caribbean rums in the cocktails, and that's if you if you kind of break down the Mai Tai cocktails, that that's basically what it is. It's you got these base rums, and then you got the flavor from the Jamaican and the Demerara just spicing up the drinks, um, and then these these were all the ones that were on Don's menu, and that also made their way onto the Mai Tai menu. We'll see those on the tour for your lucky folks who take the tour. So like I was saying, uh, Mariano became a star bartender, one of, probably one of the first. Uh, they called him the Houdini of the liquids. And there was some advertising done in the 1950s. There you see Mariano in a Puerto Rican rum uh, advertisement. So my, my thought is that Puerto Rican uh, rum uh, was being tallied up and used to uh, cement a relationship with rums of Puerto Rico, which lasted for decades. And uh, there you see the, the famous Maikai decanter that was produced uh, for Don Q. If you walk outside and look at the three tiki's just across the uh, entry entryway, there's a tiki carved by t uh, Tom Founder, a local carver, to look like that decanter. As you say, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you were going to say this, but you know, also sort of interesting, Eldorado rum from Puerto Rico. It's just you know now now we associate it with with Guyana. Right. Yeah. And they have a bottle on the back. I don't want to belabor that point, but. <laughs> Here he is in the 1960s, uh, Mariano, um, in the Derby Daiquiri, which became his signature cocktail, and it was uh, created for the Florida Derby, and uh, again in, in association with rums of Puerto Rico. And he he got a lot of press out of this, and you'll see a lot of a lot of uh, coverage of of his uh, his work on the Derby Daiquiri in, in both uh, Tim's book and in uh, Beach Bumberry Sip and Safari. 
1970s, Mariano's still doing his thing. In the uh, twilight of his career, he, he was here until 1979. And these, are, these photos are probably from the mid to late 70s. There you see him with a lot of the cocktails of that era, which look very similar to the cocktails today. So when Mariano retired in 1979, the, we've sort of frozen everything in time. The owners of the Maikai took his secret recipes, put them in a safe, and said, that's it, we're sticking to these, nobody's gonna change anything. They didn't change anything in the back bar either. This is a peek inside the very back of the Maikai, behind the kitchen is where the bar is. A lot of people come here and say, oh, where, where are the bottles? Where's the bar? We, let's, let's go you know, watch the bartender make our drink. That doesn't happen here. You go into Molokai, there's no bar. So uh, what they do is they have a bar behind the scenes. Of course, you've probably seen it in the Molokai. But in this part of the building, the bar is way back there. It's behind the kitchen. When there was a, a bar in the back of this room, originally it was called the surfboard bar. I think we'll see a picture of that coming up soon. Same bar, uh, created by Mariano. All these procedures and, and uh, techniques that were you know, created and invented by Don Beach. At the Maikai, they come, drinks are made in the back. You see the, the bartenders in the back. They come out these windows. The servers do the garnish and expedite the drinks as quickly as possible to the dining room. On a busy night, there could be how many kern? 400 people dining? Pukilau? Maybe? We could have more than 400 people ordering drinks at once, so you really got to be fast. So this system really gets those drinks out there and moving. And the, the um, even and odd means you're at an even number table or an odd number table. Now the, the back bar is known for many things, and one of the things that I love about it is, is this vintage rum collection. That's sort of why we're here to talk about the rums. I first was uh, kind of turned on to this rum collection by Beach Rum Berry. Nobody really kind of knew about it. It was like this secret, oh, I, I hear there's a bunch of cool rums back there. I don't know. Have you been back there? No, I haven't been back. Jeff got a little tour in 2009. Actually, it was a, a big tour. He did a lot of tasting of rums. He wrote about it on his blog, and I just love this quote. Um, it's one of the, an epic uh, Beach Bumberry. High up near the ceiling, on a shelf running the length of one wall, perched Mariano's prized collection. Literally his top shelf rums. Some legendary, some obscure. All at least 40 years old. The shelf looks a necropolis of bottles, which stood sentinel like mummies in an Egyptian antiquities gallery. We the living paid our respects in hushed silence. I wish I was good with the imagery as Jeff is on this one. <laughs> we all aspire. So this picture was taken right around that, that same time I got my first tour, but unfortunately I didn't go back there with Jeff, but it, it was sort of, it piqued my interest and a lot of people's interest to see what was actually back there. Lucky, luckily enough, I, I'm a local, so I, I uh, kind of hang out here and I got a chance to go back there several times. This was a most recent photo I have taken a few weeks ago. Same back bar, same rums. So those 40-year-old those rums are now 50-year-old rums and they're still sitting up there. Mariano would, would just stash the rums up there. He, he thought, I don't know what he was thinking, but it, you know, luckily for us, he, he had the, among other things, you know, foresight to, to create a, a living history museum of rum. Yeah. I mean, just thinking of my own collection, it, you know, I would, I could imagine this was his reference library. You know, if he was going to do something new, like, like, oh, I want something that was like that rum, and grab it, reach out, grab it, try it. Or, or perhaps if a rum goes off the market and it, he can't get it anymore, he wants to know what it used to taste like, so he can figure out what new rum to use. Right. right exactly. And of course, with the popularity of of the rum collection, that we had some, we started to have VIPs come through, and. Um, on the left there, that's Alexander Gabriel from Plantation Rum. I don't know if any of you guys were here last year on the Sunday. He spoke on the stage. And after, he, after his uh, presentation, he was uh, given a tour of the back bar. And I, I was lucky enough to tag along and, and take that photo. He went straight to those Barbados rums that Matt was talking about. He's holding a, the light born there in the, in the, in the cockade. Right, I would say it's, it's, not, it's not entirely coincidental that he grabbed them. I mean, obviously, he now has the Barbados Association now you know, owning West Indies rum distillery. But what many people don't know is during that era, uh, Mount Gay was essentially the only other functioning uh, Barbados rum distillery. 
that from basically the 1900s through um, like the advent of Rise of Foursquare in, in 1990s, the vast majority of Barbados rum was actually made at West Distillery, which Alex Donder now owns. And then this fall, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time uh, Joyce Spence, the master blender of Appleton Rum, and she came back to, of course, pay her respects and was was given a tour. And th th there you see her holding a couple of the dagger rums, probably including this bottle right here. And of course, we we, we made sure to say, you know, Joy, uh, can we get some of that again? <laughs> it it would be nice. I mean, the the interesting thing I like to think is people people are a little obsessed with this. Uh, sort of like trying to recreate the Ray and Nephew 17 rum, uh, but there's a lot, an awful lot we don't know about it. Um, in particular, like we, we we know it would have been column stilled, or I'm sorry, pot stilled, but we don't know what it, what that rum was aged in. It was laid down and would have been laid down when when Vic did the Baitai in 1945. It would it would that rum would have had to have been laid down in 1925, and we hadn't yet seen the rise of ex bourbon cask uh, like we see now. So, you know, it might have been a wine cask, like we really don't know. There's, like, it would be, you know, it would require a lot of skill to, to, to successfully, you know, replicate that rum. What was cool about watching Joy look at all the old rums is, um, as, the, as the master blender, she knows, you know, the ins and outs of the bottling process. She was picking up bottles and looking inside, see, seeing secret codes. Oh, that's from 1973. Oh, that's from 1978. And then she picked up a few of these old ones. I have, she had no idea because they didn't, back in those days, they didn't, they didn't label the bottles. Yeah, not so much. Now this is a, another photo from my most recent tour. Um, this is what you see when you walk back behind the, the Maikai kitchen. It just looks like, oh, another room. We call it the inner sanctum. There you see the rums up there on the shelf. Behind a heavily guarded locked door, by the way, so don't get any thoughts. So we're going to give you a little tour of some of the, the, the cool rums back there on the shelf. I, I took these uh, a couple weeks ago. This is uh, starting from left to right on the top, some old uh, white heart, which is uh, sort of related to lemon heart. And I'm going to say really quick, quick this is, um, I discovered this is a very important brand. Uh, as best as I can tell, this was the very first rum that, I've, that I found in my research that was actually sold as a, as a brand, not like, you know, as essentially we saw in the, 1879 or so, we saw White Heart Rum being being advertised, and it sort of predates some of the other rise of other brands, you know, rums as brands uh, by about 40 or 50 years. Chateau is one of those uh, rums from the uh, Virgin Islands that was on the original 56 menu. Some of these others, it's sort of a hodgepodge. There's there's no uh, kind of organization. Uh, it says American here, but ignore that. <laughs> well, there's one here. Uh, Old Florida rum. I'm not sure when that's from. Yeah. Moving right along, we see the Mount Gay, as you mentioned. There's a couple old bottles of Mount Gay. Interesting. This says sugarcane brandy. Yeah, it, it is a. It is in fact. Uh, it is in fact a rum. Uh, I was actually chatting with uh, Frank Ward, who was a master distiller, uh, basically ran Mount Gay for a number of years, and he said that the sugarcane brandy was basically there, like a, a higher quality rum, had more more pot still in it. It wasn't entirely pot still from what I recall, but it was sort of like sort of like their their top shelf rum, one of their top shelf rums. I have a sugarcane rum they released within the past decade that's pretty much similar to that, I would say, right? Um, Maybe? I don't know. I have to look, I'd, have, I'd have to go back to my notes on that one. Lord Nelson, very old Jamaican rum. And next to that, we see the uh, special reserve from, from uh, Ray and Nephew. This is the 12-year-old that was on that... Uh, that menu, I, well, I, no, the, was the 15 was on the menu. This is a 12-year-old that came after the 15, right? Right, right. And a, a Brugal, that's a little more recent. But that's that's a. And, and interesting if you notice a Brugal, I believe it's saying uh, product of the Virgin Island. Correct. Yes. Uh, predating Brugal, now we know Brugal as Dominican Republic. Um, there was actually some interesting conversation about this on one of the Facebook forums. And as best we can tell, Brugal may have gone the same route as, as uh, Bacardi and basically had distilleries in, in multiple places. And we'll see that with several rums in the back, that there, there are multiple countries that the same rum comes from that you might think, oh, they've always been from you know, right. a certain place. Right. There's an old Myers. 
This is an unopened bottle. Even though it looks like, oh, somebody drank out of that. We, we checked it the other night. These are, this is a sealed bottle, and it's probably it? going to taste exactly like it did in, in the 1950s or 60s. The, the loss of a little bit of uh, liquid is not unusual for an old bottle, correct? Correct, yes, absolutely. There, there's a, a uh, famous, semi-famous rum collector in Boston named, named Eric Witts, who uh, has you know, a Facebook following. He collects these very old rums and other, and other spirits, and um, he always talks about spill level, and this seems very much in line with, with unopened bottles. And then next to that is the, uh, moving down to the right, that special reserve. That is the 15. This, this is the 15, and this has been opened and heavily consumed. Right. I, I, I believe I, I'm going to blame Beach Bumberry for that on his tour. So, there's a little, little backstory on this one. If it is, in fact, the same bottle uh, as the one I'm thinking of, we, uh, I actually had some of this uh, in France a couple years ago. I was at, uh, at the uh, plantation, the Saint Ferrand. Um, they actually had a bottle of this that had been gifted to them by, by Steve Remsburg. And I was able to taste this. And you know, they won't officially tell you as such, but this is, this is the rum that they tried to replicate, and I think did a pretty good job with their their collector, their first edition collector series, which just uh, became available a month or so ago. It's, it's a pretty expensive bottle, but um, this, this, this was the bottle that Alexander was trying to replicate the flavor of, and you know, from my, you know, I, I tasted them about a year apart, but my recollection is they were pretty similar. You know, like he did a good job in that regard. I'm going to move a little faster because we, we want to squeeze a lot of stuff into this presentation. Um, in this slide, you see a lot of old rum barbrincourt, same rum barbrincourt we know today. Th these are very early versions of that, uh, of course. Um, some Lightborn that was mentioned earlier from uh, Barbados. There's, a, there's an old Crusian rum there. Crusian's a very old brand. Um, there's the cockade that actually, um, Alexander pulled that down off the shelf and we, and we tasted a little. Kern, remember that? Very, very awesome uh, rum. One of the best rums I've ever tasted. I had the pleasure of getting a little sip of that. Some Ron Rico, which is a, a brand you may know as a, as a cheap bottom shelf rum. But back in these days, Ron Rico was, was really a very, very good rum. There's the Seagirts, uh, Don Q151, which is one of the you know, rare instances of one of these old rums that's still used today. They use the Don Q151 in the flaming cocktails and the flaming desserts. Here we see more Don Q, throwback to that rums of Puerto Rico relationship. Old St. Croix, Boca Chica, that's that workhorse uh, mixing rum from the original menu. We're seeing a lot of Jamaican names here. Royal Caruba, which is a predecessor of today's Caruba. That's, actually, that's probably a Caruba from the 70s and maybe six, 60s next to it. Uh, what, this one or the other one? The, the one in Hyden in the back yeah. is more recent, but it's still yeah, not a yeah. it's not a current Caruba. No, no, no. Uh, my guess is this might be the 40s or so. Um, by the way, the, the Caruba name, actually, it was a Swiss company, and it stands for basically Rum Company Basel. Actually, there's actually a meaning to Caruba. Now we're starting to see some Bacardis from Cuba here. There's one. Getting now to, toward the end of the shelf, there's some really cool stuff here. This is the Sloppy Joe's rum, aged 40 years. And um, when, when Jeff wrote about this, he placed the, the era of this rum to sometime in the early 1950s. So this is a rum that was probably just picked up in Cuba. The uh, Thornton brothers were, were famous for taking trips to Cuba on the weekends. And they were probably at Sloppy Joe's bar. And maybe Sloppy Joe himself just handed them a bottle and they brought it back. A lot of Jamaican rums down here at the end. These are very old brands. Kelly's Rum. What's that one? Royal Royal Reserve. Royal Reserve. And as far as I can tell, this is just an this is an old Martinique rum of some sort. I, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that will be Bali. Right. I think that's rum Bali. Also, the Royal Reserve. If you look at the bottom, uh, Edwin Charlie. He was he was one of the uh, Jamaican merchants uh, from the uh, early 1900s who was. 
known for or you know, basically buying rum from multiple distilleries and aging it himself. And, you know, so Edwin Charlie's was a was a brand basically at that point in time. It still does exist in Jamaica. I've, I've uh, had bo- I've seen bottles. I've there, heard of I, bottles. I mean, so I know I know the the Campari or Appleton has basically done sort of like special edition Edwin Charlie things. I don't know if it's still on the shelf. Right you know, regularly available on the shelf. Exactly. Now we're right at the end of the shelf on the top. There's some very old lemon heart rums. I think I have one over here. There's an, there's an old lemon heart bottle. Quite a bit left in this. And some ancient Bacardi rums, all from Cuba. So I just want to move quickly as we wrap up to uh, talk a little bit about what, we're, what, what else is going on with the lost rums. We also have some lost cocktails, like I mentioned. And we've had these parties before where we bring back some old cocktails from the past. We did it at Hukilau three times before. So today is just a continuance of those traditions. These are all the lost cocktails that have disappeared from the menu over the years. And we've been, able, we've been lucky to be able to taste them again. Today we're drinking the Demerara Float featuring Lemon Heart 1804, which is actually uh, special today because uh, the, the regular Demerara rum on the Maikai menu is Hamilton 86. They do use the 151, but they use Hamilton 86, which again fits that 86 proof original profile of the original menu. And the very odd Dr. Fong, which was Don Beach's Dr. Funk, and has a very odd story if you ever do some cocktail research. I have a story on the blog about it. Very anise heavy. It has a white uh, Bacardi rum in this. Uh, Of course, my website, I want to give a plug. Uh, You can go and find out all about all the history of all the cocktails, where they came from. They're Don the Beachcomber uh, ancestor. My little ratings guide that I've rated all the drinks. I have a bunch of papers down here. You can come pick them up and Take them with you if you want, if you don't want to check the website. There's the menu today, as it has evolved into a, a spectacular menu. Uh, the rums today are a little bit different. Same style, though, as, as we mentioned. They, they're, they're no longer using these old lemon hearts on the left. They're using the lemon hearts on the right. Same thing here. We've got the rum styles. We got the Demerara rums, the Jamaican rums, and the Spanish style rums that make up the bulk of the cocktails at the Maikai. So if you're, you know, you're drinking an SOS, you want to know what's in it. It's got that Demerara and the Spanish gold rum. Looking at the back bar, right below those uh, top shelf rums, you got all the regular rums that they use every day. There you see the Hamilton, the Don Q. They, use, they still use the Brugal as, as their aged Spanish rum, the Bacardi's. There's some more, more of the current rums on the mixing shelf. Castillo Gold is sort of like their their basic um, gold mixing rum. It's from Bacardi. It's just rebranded for, for mass consumption. And of course, there was a question earlier about the uh, dark Jamaican. So here we go. Uh, the Kahala Bay for 20 years was the dark Jamaican rum here. And it was very close to Dagger. It wasn't really the same thing. We, we, uh, we can't, you know, get that old flavor that we want, but Kahala Bay came pretty damn close. And it was something I kind of did a lot of research on. And uh, what, we, what I've learned is Dagger Punch was replaced by Appleton Punch at some point in the 80s. Dagger came back, but at a lower proof. So that's when it's, we so, so started to see a little bit of change. It was no longer 97. Kahala Bay replaced the second version of Dagger. And from what I've been told, it's sort of, it was sort of the same kind of blend. Appleton just said, oh, let's get rid of Dagger, call it Kahala Bay, and send it to the Maikai. I think the Maikai was the, like the major consumer of Dagger in the entire country, correct? Nobody else was using it. I found it at a few local uh, stores, and I posted it on my blog, and it kind of went viral, and people were trying to find Dagger everywhere. Uh, Kahala Bay, I'm sorry. So the big news, I revealed this yesterday. Um, well, 2017... Kahala Bay went off the market, sadly, and uh, we couldn't find it anywhere. We, we don't know why. Um, Appleton really won't tell us. Ray and Nephew just stopped producing it. So the Maikai started using Appleton Signature, which is very fine rum, but it's not that funky, dark Jamaican style. It, it's it's not. It's going to give you a different flavor in the cocktails. So after a couple of years, the Maikai got tired of that and said, let's, let's do our own rum. So very recently, the Maikai 
began mixing with a new multi-rum blend that closely duplicates the flavor of Kahala Bay. I can't tell you what's in it. It's uh, their own blend of rums, but if you drink one of those cocktails, like the, uh, the rum barrel or the, the uh, Yeoman's Grog, there's a whole list of them. I have those lists down here as well if you want to pick them up. You can taste that same funky Jamaican flavor. There's also a little bit of sipping rums back there on the top shelf. Uh, the Maikai has a very nice sipping rum menu. So I think everyone should go out there and get their jet pilots and their, uh, their zombies. And we're going to do a tour. for. It's going to last about 15 minutes. We're also going to invite anyone who wants to do a tour with Tim. Swanky's right here. He's going to meet people up front by the front about 3 o'clock to uh, do a tour of, of the uh, front of house. Tim's going to give uh, up to 30 people, I believe, who first come, first serve. I'm sure he can accommodate everybody to do a uh, expert tour of the, the dining rooms and all the interior of the Maikai. So thanks, Tim, for doing that. What's that? Oh, Tim's, Tim's first drink is the Flaming Coffee Grog, by the way. Yeah, and you get the show, and it's, of course, a Don Beach original. Sometimes I end my night with that, too. That's a, that's a good starter or ender. So uh, you guys enjoy yourselves, and uh, our, our class uh, members, thanks for coming. You guys on the tour, we'll meet you right down here in a minute. Thank you all. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Rums of the Maikai with Jim Hayward and Matt Petrick. I'd like to thank Jim Hayward for graciously allowing me to not only record this symposium, but also for including me in Kern's VIP Insiders Tour of the back bar, kitchen, and offices of the world-famous Mai Kai. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time inside the Desert Oasis Room.